welcome back to Asians Represent. My name is Daniel, and I am one of the co-hosts of the Asians Represent podcast. Today's episode is about the exciting world of wuxia and xinxia, two highly requested Chinese literary genres that we cover on the podcast. Our guest today is Yilin Wang, who is a writer, cultural consultant, wuxia expert extraordinaire. Agatha and I had an amazing time interviewing her. Uh, so I know you're going to you're going to enjoy and get a lot out of this episode. But we have a couple of announcements. If you are listening to this on your mobile device, take a look at your mobile device. You'll see that we have rebranded Asians Represent. We're currently in the middle of this rebrand process. Uh, this very, very talented creator, Samira Khan, has been helping us out with the rebrand. So we have a brand new logo. We have a brand manual. And we've got a lot in the works. So stay tuned. Take a look at all of our social pages. Everything has changed, and I absolutely love it. Um, to go along with that rebrand, we've also actually signed a non-exclusive merch deal with Heart of the Unicorn Productions. That's right. Asians represent official merch coming out soon. Uh, we're working on that. Um, so if there's something that you'd like, an artist that you want us to feature, hit us up on social media. Uh, tweet at us at AZNSrepresent. Or, of course, you know you can always uh, tweet at me, Daniel H. Kwan, on Twitter as well. Um, last bit of announcement. I didn't do this on the last episode of the podcast, so I want to shout out uh, my pal DJ Pavilon for letting us use his song Euphoria on the Asians Represent podcast. Super excited about that. Um, Pavilon is somebody who I work with in my day job. Uh, he's in a, he's um, like a producer, DJ extraordinaire. Um, so shout out to Pavilon for that. That being said, I know you folks don't want to hear any more of me. You want to hear Yilin and her amazing wuxia knowledge. So please give it up for Yilin Wang. Yilin, well, welcome, welcome to Asians Represent. Oh yeah, um, do do do. <laughs> I, I get that just like god, god mode. Yes. Um, but also, this is the first time we've covered this topic of <gasps> wuxia. I mean, Daniel, technically, uh, it's the first time that we cover each topic. But yeah, you're right. I okay. I mean, like we we cover topics consistently. We cover the topics of like Orientalism and Asian representation in tabletop games. But I think this is the first time that we've sat down and covered a particular genre of Asian fiction. <clears throat> I don't think we've ever done that before. Um, I know that there are some people who would be like, what about cyberpunk? That's not Asian. Um, <laughs> there are, there are going to be... <laughs> well, there are also um, interesting things to talk about with cyberpunk. There are also it, interesting yeah. things to talk about there. But, you know, last year, we were we were doing Hearts of Wulin, and you started working on that project. Um and, you know, it was the first time I had ever been exposed to the idea of the wuxia genre in tabletop games. And from then on, we were kind of exposed to a plethora of other games that were also in that genre. And now we have the current cultural consultant and sensitivity reader in Hearts of Wulin, Yilin, with us Yay! to just talk about the wuxia genre. Welcome to the podcast as well. Um we're here to talk about wuxia. We're here to talk about, you know, gender representation and the idea of the fantastical in Chinese fiction. Yes. Uh, I'm super excited. 
Yeah, um, I am also excited because I just found out before our recording that Yulian knows basically my best friend. So Yulian is also Canadian. Oh, yeah. Wait, are you Canadian? I'm <laughs> I in Canada, you live yes. In. Yeah. And thank yeah. you so much for having me. Yeah. I'm yeah. excited. <laughs> yeah. So Yulian is a writer, an editor, Chinese to English translator, poet. Her poem has been long listed for the CBC prize for poetry, which I'm very excited about. It's a, it's a, it's a good prize for all of our non-Canadian, non-poetry <laughs> wary <laughs> listeners. It's fine. It's fine. I'm uh, one of those. I'm one of those. I, you're, yeah. You were like, oh, CBC poetry shortlist. I was like, what, what are we talking Daniel, about? Daniel, give me a blank look. I was like, bro, bro. It sounds, it sounds incredible. <laughs> it, it is incredible. It sounds incredible. And also, most importantly, cultural consultant. Well, most important for the context of our conversation today, right? So, Eileen, what is your experience with wuxia? Like, what is your first memories of encountering yeah. this genre? Yeah, so I have a interesting kind of journey in terms of working with wuxia because um, I first en- encountered wuxia, I think, to actually video games, um, to RPGs. Um, with one of Gulong's games when I was quite young, like when I was maybe nine or ten. Um, oh. Yeah, about um, in the, yeah, it was a while ago, like in the early 2000s. And um, after that, I got into, you know, watching a lot of the sea dramas and reading the books um, and becoming familiar with just, you know, the classics by Ken Jin and Gulong, as well as kind of a lot of the movies. Um, and a few of the newer kind of shows as well. Um, and then a couple years ago, I, during the start of my MFA, I actually wanted to try to write a novel um, that draws on kind of wuxia tropes and elements. So that led me to actually do a lot of research and kind of deep dive um, into the genre and to kind of travel to Hong Kong and mainland China for like a couple of months to research wuxia. Um, specifically focusing on Jin Yong's work, but also just kind of on the early origins and kind of roots of the genre as well. That's like, we're talking about like Legend of the Condor Heroes. Yeah. Like th- those books. Yeah. yeah. I actually have one loaded up on my tablet. Ooh. I haven't started reading it yet. Um, now I feel a little bit guilty. That's really interesting. You, you, so you travel all the way to China to learn about Wuxia. Yeah, so I actually spent two months basically kind of traveling to different locations that are somehow related to the genre, um, going to like museums and kind of talking also to some like professors and scholars, um, and also just going to like talk to martial artists because I thought that might be helpful, you know, since I don't really right. do martial arts and I want to write about it. Um, so some of that has been interesting. And um, I also done a bit of translation as well um, of the genre since I kind of became really interested in it. And I think that kind of overlaps with writing as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think for people who are tuning in right now, whether they're watching on YouTube or they're listening on whatever podcast platform they're using, um, a lot of people, when they think of wuxia, they either don't know what it is, have never heard the word, or might have, have actually seen a wuxia movie and not even known about it. Like for me, when I think of wuxia movies, I think of like the Jet Li movies where he's playing like Wang Fei Hong, or I'm thinking of like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or Hero with my favorite fight scene of all time between Jet Li and Donnie Yen, and they fight in the rain, and it's just so beautiful, so elegant, uh, and like from a 
cinematography perspective so technical. But like, what what is wuxia? Like, what is the definition of wuxia for people who are trying to understand it? It's like someone like you has so much experience and so much knowledge about it. Like, what is wuxia to the uninitiated? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, actually, because um, sometimes I feel like you need a whole essay or a whole book just to explain, you know, the term and the genre. I think oftentimes it's translated just as, you know, martial arts fiction, like wuxia. But that label by itself, I think, is actually very inadequate in terms of explaining the genre because it just focuses on, you know, the surface level martial arts, the action, the fight scenes, which is part of the fun for sure. But what about like the Xia component, you know, that's such a big core part of the genre as well. So um, for me, I think about Wuxia as being really focused on like the chivalry and the quote and kind of um, the idea of chivalry in quotation marks and also kind of just the, the code of the Xia who are kind of warriors, vigilantes, who are kind of wandering in like a lawless kind of world of Jianghu. Um, and it's kind of the stories about their adventures, their relationships, their um, connections with one another, their moral dilemmas, their struggles, and kind of their attempts to carry out justice, if we will. Yeah. Okay. So that's, I think we had some. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, we had some words pop up in that really great summary just now, and I think we actually talked about this before when we when I in our episode when I mentioned Hearts of Yeah, we, we talked about it a little bit, but it's worth going over. I, yes. I, mean, I was going to say it, but you go ahead. Yes, yeah, so let's redefine. So first of all, uh, you, you were talking about wuxia. And so what, what do those characters stand for? Yeah, so wu is like, I think of it as kind of martial arts or as kind of just kind of using kind of force, you know, and kind of, kind of physical strength and um, using some kind of like weaponry or something like that. So it has to do with the martial arts aspects of the genre. And then there's also xia, which, which you is, touched on, I guess. And that's the part that is more about a chivalric aspect. The xia is literally like the, a, a warrior, I, I suppose is a good way of putting it. Or, yeah, so xia is very interesting um, because recently I was doing some research kind of delving back into articles I read in the past. And the kind of earliest mention of like Wu and Xia um, in the same sentence, but separately, um, is in a sentence um, that's about the Xia, you know, uses Wu, like martial arts, to kind of breach laws and do kind of what is forbidden. Like Xia Yi Wu, Fan Qi. So, um, so the Xia is kind of the people who, you know, use kind of martial arts use kind of their powers to do something that's maybe kind of against conventions, against the rules, but ideally for the greater good. Um, but the early Sha actually didn't always do martial arts. So even the term warrior, I think, can be a little loose because sometimes I think Sha were just you know, advisors or people who kind of traveled and wandered and who happened to have a lot of knowledge. It's almost like heroes, because heroes can be people who are intellectuals, people who can fight. So is Sha almost akin to like the idea of a hero? Yeah, I would say in a way it is. And then also, yeah. I love that early definition of 
using that word to describe basically vagabonds, I think is a good way of translating yeah. it. Like they're the ones who are breaking social norms and things like that. And then, but yeah, it is a very culturally loaded word that is sometimes hard to define so simply. So I totally agree with you that wuxia is much more, because yeah, when I try to explain it to people, I was saying, oh, I'm recording this episode about wuxia. And they were like, what is wuxia? And I was like, it's like, you know, when you think of Kung Fu films, but also <laughs> other, <laughs> all the other cultural aspects of it. And the idea, and you also mentioned Jianghu, and I kind of want to touch on that as well, like this idea of these stories as um, being set almost outside of the the kind of cultural norms, or not cultural norms, but like the social structure that is the empire. So I would say like the Miaotang and then the Jianghu, right? And I don't know if you wanted to expand a little on that. Yeah, for sure. So normally um, we see kind of the Jianghu, which is the world of kind of the outlaws and kind of the people who exist kind of outside of the bounds of society, which include maybe like the streets as well as like the wilderness. Um, we see that as in, ex in opposition to like the Miaotang that I guess I was talking about, which is kind of like the ancestral halls and also kind of the emperor's court. So we can't live against the seats of power and kind of opposing the kind of power structures and institutions that we have that kind of govern and kind of in a way i would say maybe the patriarchal you know society that we have yeah and if we were to look at the characters literally jianghu is rivers and uh and lakes and then miaotang is it's basically the like i think like you said the ancestral um the place where you worship i'm not actually really sure how to translate that was well, like so so almost like places of order like temples and palaces and like that sort of thing yeah i think of them as the seats of power basically mm. so where you know you're kind of because the meow is like the ancestral kind of hall where the kind of the laws and traditions and customs i guess kind of pass down through the generations and um, mm -hmm. a lot of kind of rules and um, traditions come from that and then the town is generally i think the official courts where you actually go to you know like see the emperor and like where all the officials gather to like you know make laws and do their courtly things okay so like for for as somebody who doesn't know a lot about wuxia and is like starting to get into it and starting to consume wuxia like uh media it's essentially about, you know, these sort of martial characters, these martial vagabonds who go out and enact justice where it's needed. They kind of in in inhabit this world, the Jianghu, which is, you know, the world outside of the government, outside of the empire, outside of order, that, that outside of power, I guess, is what you say. So is it a genre that is was designed or made by sort of the common people? That, that's what I'm curious about. Given the meaning of it and the settings that they these stories occupy, were, were, who invented wuxia? Like, and, I, and I know that's something we kind of touched on in the beginning, but like, who invented wuxia and like, what's it all about? Like, it's history. I'm so curious about that. Yeah, that's super interesting because 
Uh, we mentioned briefly about you know the philosophers who wrote about like Xia and kind of gave like early definitions of Xia. So in a way, they kind of inspired the very early thinking around the genre. Um, but then we have after that kind of many centuries of different folk tales um, being written um, featuring these Xia characters. But of course, um, generally only the scholarly class could you know attend school and get educated. And they're the ones writing stories generally because other people were illiterate or didn't have access to you know books and education. So um, in a way, I think it's kind of their um, ideas of of um, like heroic deeds being kind of projected perhaps a bit on you know the lower class and kind of the common people's experiences. But at the same time, I think. They were probably also drawing on, you know, kind of daily life and legends and gossip that they have seen. So I think there's a bit of a blurry line there. Um, and then the other interesting thing to consider in that conversation, I think, is actually I discovered very recently, like a week ago, um, actually the terms of Wu and Xia, like that um, those two characters actually made appearance um, in like a Japanese text two years before it appeared in Chinese. Yeah, so, yeah, so that it was it's very niche because it's actually not written in a lot of um, history texts and kind of a lot of literary history around the development of Wuxia. Like, it's a kind of part of the history that's not very well known at all. Uh, but yeah, so I discovered that. But the term was used kind of very differently in Japanese. So I don't know how much of it kind of transfers or converts to actually Chinese um, and how we think of Wuxia today. But it also there's a right. bit of influence there. And so Do when... We, what, like, oh, oh, go ahead, Agatha. Oh, and so when was no, no, that? Do you... Yeah, so um, I, if I remember correctly, I think it was like very early 1900s, like, 1900, like just 1900 or like 1901-ish was when the two characters were used together and it was in the title of a Japanese novel that was like science fiction. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, so I was like kind of shocked. Um, it was in the title of a science fiction novel that was about like submarine warfare or something like that. Um, and the, the whole title, okay. I think, was like, Bakyo, I don't I don't speak Japanese, I'm sorry. I might be totally butchering this, but like B-U-K- Y-O, and then something like Nippon, like Japan. So it was, right. in characters, it was something like, like, um, Ruben, and then they also had, like, Wuxia in it. And that was, like, the title. So it was something like, you know, like, the Warriors of Japan or something like that. Um, oh. And that was, that's apparently the first appearance of those two characters together. Um, and then it transferred over to Chinese. Yeah. So, so if that's the first sort of like media appearance of the two characters together, when does it first appear in its current meaning in its current, in our current understanding of what the wuxia genre is? Like what is the first piece of Chinese media that is true? That is wuxia fiction. So after the term was brought into Chinese, um, it was first applied to describe the water margin. Um, oh, okay. So that was considered to be like a wuxia novel, basically. Um, but the one that we're kind of most familiar with now, like the genre as we know it, um, 
it's actually in Chinese what we call Liu Wuxia, like Xin Wuxia, which is the one that started with Qingyou and Gulong and their generation, because they kind of reinvented the Wuxia genre again compared to like older Wuxia. And they mm-hmm. added in a lot of the tropes and kind of more complex characterization and world building that we kind of see today. So what people are kind of mostly seeing on popular media and reading um, is actually new wuxia, technically. Yeah, and the, I- the idea of the things like qinggong mm-hmm. and like neili, so qinggong, the, thing, the light foot, or neili, the inner inner power um these things yeah. all came with the the new wuxia right yeah yeah right so then the older tales are like tales of of like like almost like uh like the when you say the water margin is wuxia that kind of puts a lot of things into context they're like you know they're like bandits who are who are being good and acting against the empire and the idea of government but then the new wuxia has those themes but with this almost like magical element to it, right? We also have some earlier stories that are quite magical as well. So one of my recent projects has been trying to kind of um, kind of search up and kind of reclaim and kind of recover older folk tales that have been overlooked that have kind of wuxia um, stories or kind of wuxia elements, if you will, because I guess wuxia technically didn't exist as a genre per se back then. Um, and it discovered a lot of the Tang Dynasty Chanchi legends. Um, they actually have a lot of magic in them. So we have stories of people, you know, running up walls. We have people flying through the air. We have people walking through walls. We have people using poison um, to kind of destroy evidence after, you know, committing like a murder. Um, we have people turning paper donkeys into real donkeys. Um, so. It's actually quite like fantastical, um, but we also definitely have the kind of more more realistic kinds as well. Sorry, you said what dynasty was this? Tang Dynasty. Han Dynasty. Oh, wow, so that's real. Yeah, old. yeah. So if you're curious, you should read some. Um, I would say I think that time period out of history, like those tales, are the ones um, that are probably most influenced kind of modern wuxia um, because we see already a lot of the early kind of science of tropes and kind of characterization and um, a little bit of the jianghu world building, um, some of the kind of fantastical martial arts. We see, um, yeah, like we see some of the characters um, kind of that later appear actually in some of um, the later novelist's work, I think, like Liang Yusen, I think some of his books um, mm. actually featured characters that are just straight out of those legends. Yeah, so we kind of have an idea of where wuxia as a genre came from, the historical influences, and uh, even the first instance. Oh, that's so cool! That little that's really <laughs> that neat tidbit <laughs> about how it appeared in a Japanese sci-fi novel first. Uh, so. Wuxia is never an actual, it's always been this fantastical take um, in in Chinese fiction. And it's never an like actual history in a way, but it has such a profound influence on, on Chinese identity, right? And I, in what way do you think it's, it started shaping um, the way that 
people kind of view themselves. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think, in a way, like wuxia is one of those genres that I feel like people across, you know, the Sino diaspora, everyone, oftentimes have some, you know, kind of connection or have kind of encountered it somehow through books or through popular media. So in a way, it's something that I feel like almost exists, you know, beyond just kind of national borders or kind of that kind of boundary. Um, at the same time, I do think that it really created maybe this kind of interest in that kind of shah hero that we were talking about earlier, you know, that kind of belief in kind of justice, belief in um, kind of the, comp- the greater good, supporting maybe kind of more marginalized characters and kind of their kind of journey as an underdog to kind of grow and to kind of cultivate and to kind of gain power and kind of to um, sort of like a coming of age narrative in a way. Um, so I think it really kind of inspired an interest in kind of those values and those beliefs. That's kind of one way that I've seen it kind of manifest. Um, and I think there are things about, you know, how like, everyone has kind of dreams of Jianghu or everyone has dreams of, you know, being like a Shaka. Uh, and I think I've also heard a saying that, you know, every movie director in China wants to make a wuxia movie. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. everyone has those kind of dreams of heroism, I guess. So I think that's kind of the main connection I see. But at the same time, since I've been kind of doing my research and connecting with folks, I also see a lot of interest kind of from folks in the, like across the diaspora. And I feel like that, um, in a way, Wuxia has also been able to kind of connect people in terms of having that kind of shared interest and kind of that kind of shared heritage. Wow. Yeah. So I want to I wanna actually like cling, cling to something there because we haven't really talked about it too much. You mentioned the idea of a cultivator or of cultivation. And that's like, and I get this eyebrows are just like, yes. Um, <laughs> Like this is this is like a, a core part of that modern wuxia that we see, right? The idea of cultivating. I mean, they. I'm gonna say it. They mentioned it. They talk about it like Mulan and the idea of gaining power through chi. But like, what what is the what is a cultivator? What does cultivation mean within the context of wuxia? Yeah, I see. Um, actually, to be kind of more strict with my terms, I would say we see cultivation more. I think, especially in Xianxia. Xianxia. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I'm just talking about it here in terms of. I think a lot of these characters they have to you know work very hard and they have to train, and we have the training montage. You know, we have the character growth. We have the kind of all the challenges they have to overcome, right? That's, I think, also a key trait of the genre. They don't just, you know, are bored with chi. <laughs> or, yeah, so it's not just, like, so simple. They need to, you know, experience kind of challenges and kind of grow from that. So I was kind of using cultivation in that sense. But um, in Xianxia, right. we okay. also have the idea of a cultivator. Um, and I, that, I think that has to do more with the Taoist um, influences on the genre around cultivating towards like immortality and kind of training you know your chi and training kind of your energy and kind of leveling up in a sense um yeah to kind of gain you know gain power and kind of gain advanced kind of in status towards kind of the shan kind of immortal realm 
Um, so there's a lot about that in the Shanxia genre. Yeah. I... And the Shanxia is more of like the Chinese fantasy, right? Yes. Yeah. It's very high magic. I would say so. I mean, I only recently got into Shanxia. Um, I read a lot of Chinese web novels. <laughs> and so that is my life. Uh, and Shanxia, I... I also want to talk about Xianxia and where does Xianxia come from? Because I, I know that it takes a lot. Well, it takes some some kind of the same relationship dynamics, I think, from Wuxia. Um, but I feel like its roots are, they lay, lay out elsewhere. Yeah. So it's, I kind of think of it as kind of like a Wuxia adjacent kind of genre. Um, because we definitely have some kind of similarities. And I think it does have some roots maybe in the Tang Dynasty tales that I was talking about, because those tend to be more magical. Um, but we, around kind of the time that new Wuxia was being formed, I think maybe slightly earlier, uh, we have an author called Huan Zhu Lozu, who is Sichuanese. Um, and he wrote actually what I think of as kind of the earliest Xianxia novels, because he had um, characters where they're like shab, but then they like flew on swords across mountains. <gasps> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of his stories are set in Sichuan, on like Mount Omei, and like the different kind of Sioux Mountains. And um, he had a lot of kind of what he called like immortal Sha. Yeah, like Jian Xian, um, who kind of flew around and cultivated and lived in caves. And those stories I read like. I think part of one of the books is like a very gigantic series. It's like one of those 10 book series or whatever. Um, so I read a bit of it and it has a different feel than like Jingyong because it is right. so much more magical and it feels like it's very much like a cultivation novel. And it's, you just get the stories of these people wandering around and kind of being very removed from kind of human society. Right. So, so is this, in general, does like Jingyong's work kind of mark that start of the new Wuxia? Is that, is that kind of how it works out? Yeah, his generation. So like the 50s? Yeah, 50s and 60s. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and to define Xianxia as a term, um, so we again have the Xia, um, which is that that vagabond hero archetype that we said before. It's the same character. And then Xian, how would you define Xian? Yeah, so I think of Xian here as kind of like definitely rooted in kind of Taoism, but also kind of fantastical aspects of Taoism as opposed to maybe like Taoism as a religion. Um, and beliefs around kind of immortality, around cultivation, um, around kind of more high magic kind of powers. So we see the same Shaq characters. Except here, the world has changed. You know, they're not like human Xia per se, wandering in Jianghu and kind of dealing with kind of the concerns of the common people. They're kind of in a world of their own, even though sometimes they'll come down to the like human realm and interact. And there are sometimes, you know, kind of crossovers. Uh, but they're much more kind of concerned with the, um, the morality and the issues of kind of the supernatural world. And sometimes we have characters who are like more, which is kind of like kind of demonic kind of characters. Although I'm not sure about that translation because I feel like demon evokes a particular kind of connotation in English. Yeah, but they're kind of the opposite, opposite of opposite of Xian, 
the kind of the kind of evil kind of spirits or beings. Um, so there's kind of sometimes that conflict as well between like the Xian and the Mo. Mm. Yeah, because we we were when we put out that tweet and we got all those responses to the tweet with questions. Uh, a mm -hmm. lot of them were kind of based on the idea of like, like one of one of our the members of our community was like, is you know the concept of cultivation separable from the wuxia genre? And the answer is indeed yes, because the idea of cultivation, like you said, is more of a xinxia thing. Oh, okay, because there are, there are also a lot of questions that talk about the idea of magic, mm -hmm. the idea of. You know, the mystical, uh, and I say mystical very loosely because mystical, it, especially tabletop games and, you know, ideas of Asian people in North America have some, you know, deeply rooted sort of racist uh, connotations to it. But the idea of magic and the supernatural, like, how does that factor into wuxia itself? Like, I know you said that in many ways it's like, you know, there is... Um, you know, they're mostly martial characters. They're like bandits, they're vagabonds. But in some wuxia, like fiction or movies, a lot of the things that you see them do are like, they appear magical, they appear supernatural. So how do you like kind of draw the line aside from the fact that they are, you know, for the people, they're not immortals, they are operating in that Jianghu world where they aren't sort of separating, the, they're, they're separating themselves from the authority but where do you kind of draw the line on what is considered like magic and supernatural within wuxia and xinxia? Yeah, I think it's interesting because I get this question a lot um, from folks who are not familiar with the genres. But for me, actually, I feel like it's quite distinctive because wuxia is considered to be very low magic. Um, and even the idea of fantasy is kind of like a foreign concept, I think, in Chinese fiction, because we don't have such strong kind of genre boundaries, especially in the older days. Um, but like, wuxia is supposed to be, I think, kind of just beyond the limits of kind of human ability. It's not supposed to be like something that's super magical or like high magic, because I think it's kind of like based on legends around kind of martial artists. So, you know, if you cultivated, trained, um, you know, really, really hard, you could maybe, you know, nearly run up a wall. So wuxia is just slightly more kind of, in quote, magical or kind of slightly more um, speculative than that. Whereas Xianxia, we have, you know, people flying through the air and just things that are just very high magic and things that are just not possible for humans in any way or form. And we also have, you know, immortal beings. I've seen Xianxia that occasionally has like a god or two. Um, we have, again, kind of the more like the evil spirits. Um, and we sometimes have kind of Yao Guai, which is kind of another type of um, evil spirit as well. Um, mm -hmm. That's kind of from being like plants and animals that cultivated and became like took on some kind of human shape. Um, so that's kind of very high magic compared to just, you know, humans being able to do a little bit more than maybe what real humans can do. Right. This, this is so fascinating to me because, like, and I think this is the perfect segue into some of our community questions. Because, like, Agatha, you've got this great question from, from our Discord server. Because so far what we've been talking about with, 
you know, wuxia are like the characteristics of these characters, the meanings of these words and the spaces in which they operate kind of brings in the idea of like, well, what makes this Chinese? Like, is there a Chinese aesthetic to it? And there was a really good question, and I'm not doing it justice, but Agatha, I think, like, we have this awesome question from Discord. Yeah, and it's uh, it's from the Discord user Izzy, and the question is, does wuxia require a Chinese or similar setting as in order to make it wuxia? Like, is that a genre requirement? I'm going to say that I feel like if we're talking about like the spirit of it and kind of the general feel of it um I would argue maybe not but if you want it to be very conventional wuxia then I think that the setting is going to be part of that because we talked about jiangku being mm -hmm. um important but I'll give an example so um a year ago I translated a short story from Chinese to English that was a modern, um, set in like a modern day world, maybe like 20 years ago. Um, and it featured a martial artist who was like the teacher of an actual kind of school. Um, and he doesn't have any students and he is broke and he's struggling to make a living. So there's no fighting, no jianghu, and no magic of any kind. It just featured, you know, like a martial artist who just couldn't make money and was worried that his martial arts is going to die out. Um, and the martial arts is actually based on like actual martial arts um, that exists. So there's a bit of a nonfiction aspect to it as well. Um, and that was featured in an issue that was for wuxia fiction. So, ah. so I oh. think that kind of made me rethink the kind of genre boundary Awusha, um, because I see it as kind of more fluid. Because I would say that story was maybe categorized as wuxia because it had the general idea, you know, of a martial artist struggling to basically kind of pass on their martial arts and struggling to survive. And that, for some readers, seemed to be enough for it to be labeled wuxia, even though some fans who are hardcore might, you know, argue that is not. Um, so that's that's one example. Um, the other reason I think it's a little bit fluid is because um, in some of my research, I've also seen um, some parallels and kind of early influences from, I would say, samurai fiction and also from um, Westerns as well. Um, um, for example, Gulong's work. And also, I think we talked briefly about, you know, science fiction, apparently, and also on... Uh, and Japanese detective fiction as well. So the early, you know, origins of the genre is very, very open. Um, so I think to capture, you know, the general feel of the shad, the, sub the idea of subversion, the idea of this kind of megabond hero, that having that, you could, you know, argue that it's wuxia inspired. But if you wanted to be, you know, a very traditional wuxia story, then I think there will be more expectations around certain kind of tropes that we're all just familiar with. Yeah, and mm. there's another part of this question that is talking about the aesthetics and conventions of the genre being very compelling, but also hard to translate into a non-Chinese setting. And 
I think that is an interesting thing because this like this definition of wuxia seems to be coming from a context where everyone already has the cultural context for what wuxia as a genre is. I'm I'm assuming the story was set in China or something adjacent or it was set in China that didn't really have any references, so it was just like a very generic town where the setting right. didn't really play a role, other than the fact that he was struggling to make a living in his martial arts right. of dying out. Yeah, 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 and I I can totally see. Um, wuxia as a genre evolving and this is a very natural progression right like you have the set conventions and then of course it will progress to things that that are acting against that convention and that's 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 like all literary genres but at the same time i wonder for for say like the western audience right like if you don't know what it is what then would make a story wuxia like that story it can be seen as wuxia for some people but if you don't have any kind of context, then would that still, like, if someone was to say, "I need a recommendation to to this wuxia thing that you're talking about," I wouldn't recommend that story specifically, right? I would say watch, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, yeah. <laughs> or something else. Is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon wuxia or xinxia? It's wuxia. It's wuxia. Even though they are like, because you were you were talking about this distinction of like, you know, they kind of push the boundaries of, of the human capabilities, but they jump really far. So that still counts as wuxia. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, if you're looking at kind of legends, um, the idea right. of kind of Jin Yong's work is that he actually, you know, referenced some actual kind of martial artists of legend. Some of the characters are descended, mm-hmm. you know, from lineages that were like recorded in some folk tale. So, you know, they could have been real. Um, they're not completely right, kind of fictional because we kind of blur the line between what is kind of um, maybe recorded like true history and more kind of legends. So, you know, if you went to Shaolin Temple and, you know, look, found, you know, the most talented monk at Shaolin Temple, you know, they might be able to do some things that we don't think is possible. Right. Yeah. Okay. I think and so. On the Shenxia way, that would be like Legend of the White Snake. It would be more of a yes. Shenxia thing. Yeah. Okay. I would say so. Well, uh, Shenxia is yeah. I never thought of it that way before. I encountered Shenxia as a genre, but I can see that because that story existed before Shenxia became a genre, right? So, but that yeah, I feel like for me, I I think the supernatural is also. I, I feel like Xianxia and Wuxia is very distinct as well. And for me, the distinction is about what the characters care about, which sometimes, of course, they still care about like relationships and, uh, oh, you insulted me 500 years ago. Therefore, I got a beef with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to defeat you and so on and so forth. But I do think a lot of times it has to do with there's the supernatural aspect of the soul and you're cultivating and refining yourself. Whereas it seems like the uh, wuxia stories are, but th- that's not a thing. Or you're bettering your physical capabilities, but it's not, it doesn't have that spiritual quote unquote aspect to it that comes from the Taoism. I don't know if that's a good way of putting it. I think in a way that is true, although I think a lot of the web novels and kind of shansha that I'm familiar with tend to have like a big also kind of romance elements to it as well. So oftentimes it is still very focused on relationships. 
but just right, you know that's that's stretched across you know many yeah. centuries and involves like reincarnations and that kind of thing as opposed to just you know kind of human relationships that's fair that's fair if anyone wants some xianxia drama recommendations <laughs> 10 Miles of Peach Blossoms <laughs> is on Netflix. And so is Ashes of Love. Those are the only two. I maybe, I'll lo- maybe I'll look that up. Maybe I'll look that up <laughs> for so myself. Long. Look, like, there, there is so much, so much Chinese media that I'm trying to consume and I can't, like, get it all done. Um, like, there's a new video game that came out, Xuan uh, Yuan Sword 7. And it looks like a Xinxia game based on what we, I've learned today because there are like demons and the supernatural. Um, and then there's like the more like martial characters fighting against like the authority. And I think of like Hero as a really good one. Um, also because I really love that movie. Uh, but perhaps we should move on to sort of like the idea of wuxia in tabletop games. Um, obviously, there's Hearts of Wulin, which we've talked about Um but, like, we see so many games that kind of market themselves as wuxia games, but might actually be xinxia. Like, I've seen people who talk about, you know, Dungeons and Asians, our show. And they say, it's kind of like a wuxia show, but D&D or Quest now. But based on what we've talked about, I think it's almost like it's a xinxia show for sure, right? Yes, 100%. Um, we literally have a character archetype called Sky Soldier. So yeah. I, would, I would definitely <laughs> think that it is Jinxia. So if you're going to take, you know, these, that aesthetics aside, um, like the idea of it being Chinese, if you're going to take certain tropes in the narrative, in the role playing, like what do you transfer over into a role playing game itself? Like what? What elements go into designing a wuxia game? If you were to do it yourself and not as a sensitivity reader, uh, I know that you said that you have you know, kind of like you're kind of new to the tabletop role playing game genre. But I often find that like newer people to the genre have the most exciting experiences now because there are just so many games. Like when I was a kid, I just had D and D, and I I had nothing else. Um, but now there's just, there's everything. Like, what do you pick? What do you what do you look for if there was a wuxia role playing game? Yeah, like, what would you look for? So, I'm thinking of the experience I had where I tried to like run a one shot. So, I did this thing where when I was in my MFA writing program, um, each of us tried to host like a homebrew D and D in our novel worlds. So I was, you know, writing a wuxia novel at the time, which I'm still writing, <laughs> writing it slow. Um, but I was like, okay, so let me try to build a D&D, you know, campaign, like a one shot in the novel setting. Um, but I was very new because I hadn't really kind of DM before. So my friend helped me a lot in terms of converting things and kind of in terms of stats and whatnot. But what I did was kind of do a lot of the the world building kind of from scratch based on kind of my novel. Um, so I had characters um, really focus on kind of figuring out their relationships to one another because I think that's a key part of Wuxia. So I had them work out, you know, kind of the faction and kind of their alliances and their relationships or vendettas or kind of conflicts with existing characters. Um, so that was a key part of it. Um, I also 
had the martial arts really focused on conditionality and um, dexterity, just because a lot of wuxia, that's just how it goes, kind of the style and aesthetics, and I kind of like that aspect. So um, we shoot out a lot of the more kind of strength-related skill sets and really focus on those. Um, I had them choose kind of titles for the characters to kind of mimic the titles maybe they might use in the martial arts world. Um, kind of also rethinking the weapons as well that are being used um, and what kind of those could be and how they align with character personality and traits. Um, also in terms of magical powers, mine story measure is a little bit kind of fantastical. So it's kind of in between Shansha and Wuxia. So they did have a little bit more kind of magical powers in terms of, for example, um, manipulating the environment and that kind of thing. So there was a bit of that, um, but mostly mostly just martial arts. Um, and then in terms of the campaign itself, I kind of chose to give them a heist because I thought that would be like a clear kind of um, one shot with a clear kind of goal and focus and kind of contained and kind of stand alone. And basically I had them, you know, go after like a training manual in like an order that was kind of hidden away, which is, I think, a very common trope in Wuxia. You know, they're always fighting for these objects of power. Um, and then I added this thing where some characters actually had kind of um, alternate motives and kind of double agents. Um, so because that, again, is a common trope of Wuxia. It's, we have a lot of twists. We have characters switching sides. We have kind of characters being unpredictable, um, have characters having secrets, that kind of thing. Yeah, so those are the friendship, things that betrayal, love, yeah. oh, betrayal. That sounds so good. Betrayal, <laughs> lots of betrayal, filial relationship, betrayal. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, and I, I think circling back to what makes a story wuxia, I personally think that Hearts of Wuling does do a good job of pulling in the tropes that, for me, makes the story wuxia to me. Which, again, aside from the the kung fu aspect of it, the martial arts, and again, all of the really interesting and creative ways that uh, they've really developed, um, which is why I can see the confusion with people thinking that it's like supernatural, because some of it is really out there but i think there's that part and then the other part that makes a wuxia story that fitting in that genre for me is the relationships and in this way i'm not sure if it's possible to set it in a way that's not at least asian um in background because i think this whole this collectivism sort of culture where you're you're your relationships to each other and your social obligations um, and also your reputation. These are things that are, uh, they, they, they are in a lot of different cultures, of course. But I think these are the things that inform the other aspects that, or they form the backbone of a Wuxia story. Because like when people care about, oh, they've insulted me. It's and like, why does that matter? Because reputation is important. Why does reputation matter? Because this is the world where, where 
the people's impression of you or your name and your reputation travels way farther than you. And these things really matter within this social sphere that you're in. And so for me, I feel like that is what makes a wuxia story a wuxia story is you have the fighting, yes, but you also have this kind of almost like Confucius and um, informed uh, social background. I don't know how you, th- what do you think? Is, is it is it almost like the the like the Chinese concept of like face is like is like very much tied to wuxia and the relationships and the entanglements? So I when um, I guess I was saying that I um, I first of all I really agree with what you just said, and I think you, what you're talking about here is like the idea of yi, right? Like xia yi, um, which is kind of Confucianism, and um, it's. It is kind of face, but it's not just face. I think it has to right. do... E is kind of a Confucian word that has to do with kind of morality and obligation um, and kind of the ties that people have with one another. So, um, for example, um, you know, the kind of student and teacher relationship, you know, um, they have E towards one another. Or, for example, like towards people of your own kind of same school or your order, martial arts faction, um, or like a sworn sibling, for example, or like someone who like saved your life. And that kind of, these kind of ties are actually kind of what drives, I think, a lot of the dilemmas. Because, for example, you might, you know, have obligations to your family or to your school because of, you know, honor or because they like raised you or things that you owe them. But then, for example, maybe you also um, have a romantic, you know, kind of plot line with a character who is, you know, from the opposing side to you. Um, and you might have feelings and obligations towards them. So then how do you resolve this conflict? Yeah. And I think and when these these sort of relationships and expectations are mechanized so put into game mechanism then i think that is what forms one part of the what makes a wuxia story and therefore a wuxia game and also again i mean i'm not i'm not affiliated (laughs) with hearts of wulin but i do think that it not anymore but i do think that it that is the part that also does it very well like all of their entanglements basically do this and they are very tropey and sometimes they can be stereotypical of the genre specifically but i do think that it's very effective in invoking what to me ha- reminds me of the wuxia stories that i've read so in many ways the answer to the question is it's very difficult to divorce wuxia from its chinese aesthetic and its chinese setting because of the culturally ingrained values of friendship and the social bonds essentially is what you're saying that is what i would argue i yeah. don't know if yilin would you would you agree with I that think i would say it's very hard for someone who you know doesn't understand that or who doesn't have that background mm-hmm. to write wuxia well in a sensitive way um and when i was doing sensitivity reading um, for Hearts of Wulin, I also gave some comments around the entanglements. Um, and I um, kind of raised the kind of question and concern around will people be able to, you know, understand kind of the deeper ideas beneath the entanglements rather than just create kind of an arbitrary kind of conflict where they just happen to, you know, have 
kind of conflicts with characters because they have you know two different ties and not be able to understand the deeper kind of obligations or kind of the deeper reason why those ties exist. So I think it's it's tricky to handle well, and um, I don't want it to be kind of this kind of performative kind of idea of just you know character being tortured or kind of kind of have having like a dilemma or kind of suffering because they have kind of torn. Um, kind of torn ideas or kind of torn um, obligations because that is kind of a little bit maybe stereotypical and can be kind of melodramatic if it's just kind of on that surface level. Right. Because you see games, or I mean, there are a ton of wuxia games. Like if you go to drivethroughrpg.com and you search for wuxia, there are a ton of games there that aren't made by Asian people or Chinese people. And they either like go very, very heavy into like, this is just a martial arts game and you play a whole bunch of martial artists and all you're doing is fighting. And then there are a hand, a small minority of games that are just like the melodrama. Um, I know that, you know, if we're thinking about tabletop RPGs that might be hacked into using Wuxia, like, um, and I don't know if you're familiar with this one, Elin, but Agatha, I know you are because we played it. It's Masks. Now, what if you took masks and you had none of the characters have powers? You have a, a system of entanglement already built into the game. Oh. Um, you have emotion. Um, and if you just took out the idea of superpower, so Elin, it's a game about teenage superheroes. Okay. And one of the core mechanics is feelings, emotions, and, and also, the idea and the of way, social debt. And identity and the way that people yeah. can affect each other's identity. And you can choose to affect, I mean, you can choose to accept or reject that when other people... These, this, that's the mechanic of it. Oh, that's a really yeah. So if you point. took away the like the the superpowers, like shooting energy and like breaking stones with your, well, no, I wouldn't even say breaking stones because breaking stones with your bare hands could be a wuxia thing. Yeah, now if that you were I to reskin know this. those powers into um, something something that is more like a like a wuxia story, like more like kung fu focused yeah. or in less. Yeah, I think we have an idea. <gasps> I think what we have is a new idea for a show, Agatha, well, that we should do. Oh, Mass <laughs> season two. That's also interesting. Yeah. I haven't you, played it. Well, you should come on and, and be on it when we eventually do this. Yes. Let's let's make this happen, Agatha. Yes. Now we're running out of time because we're we're verging on an hour. <laughs> we could talk. I know that Agatha could talk for like hours about this. I literally have. <laughs> and we should definitely, you know, Elin, have you on the show again to talk about this stuff. Also promote your stuff because I mean, I've learned so much. From like reading your tweets, reading your website, and just like listening to you two talk right now, I'm I'm super inspired. But I know there's one other question that we got from Twitter, um, and there are like multiple questions in here. But I think it's one that's really interesting to talk about. But I don't know if it's Agatha. Do you want to read this one? It's in the Zoom chat because uh, I, I I read the last one. Oh yeah, sure. Um, which and this question is about gender so what are your favorite women in wuxia and how do you see wuxia as a genre that both upholds the patriarchy and subverts it and then also maybe some suggestions for up and coming writers especially yeah and, and we can, and we could do that at the end oh, so let's yeah. take the second half i'm ready to talk about like supported the genre and the the chinese diaspora and creators of the diaspora yes but first we'll end with that but i like the first question so much because I don't know. This is also not my experience. Yeah. So I have kind of two that come to mind kind of right away. And 
Um, the modern one I like is um, from Jin Yong's um, Legend of Counter Heroes and Huang Rong. Um, and I like her because she is just very intelligent, very smart, very, like street smart. Um, and just like a really interesting character who kind of is not really, doesn't really, you know, listen to other people and kind of has her own opinion and very strong sense of agency and a lot of personality. Um, so I really like her character. Um, and the other um, one I, I can think of is actually a story that I recently translated, um, which people can find on my blog, but it's called The Woman in the Carriage. Um, and it's a story of the first bandit leader um, in one of the Tan tales. So um, I was actually really surprised to come across it because I've come across other, you know, kind of women's, um, women shah stories in a lot of the Tan tales, um, because in the Tan dynasty, women had a little bit more freedom, relatively. Um, there was a kind of peak in terms of a lot of women being featured in these Tan dynasty stories, but a lot of them were still kind of doing kind of shad deeds to kind of fulfill obligations towards men. For example, towards their fathers or to their husbands or to like a male lord. Um, but this story um, actually features a woman in a position of power where she is actually the leader of a group of bandits and they kind of play a bit of a trick on a poor scholar who gets kind of trapped in like a prison because they frame him for theft that he didn't do and then he gets rescued by the woman who can fly. Uh, yeah, so I think that story is super interesting and actually quite progressive um, in a way that's kind of unexpected. Wow. Agatha, I also want to know, do you have a character, a wuxia character that you really like? Um, I feel like a lot of the the web novels that I've been reading now, uh, I don't know what they're English. <laughs> they don't, they're not translated. So, <laughs> Well, what are the Chinese can, names for people who understand? Uh, I'll, I'll, have, I'll have a list that we can probably stick in the description. But I do think... Yeah, let's do that. Like, like OG, OG, quote-unquote, of like the new Wuxia. Oh, my. Oh, what is her name? Uh, my favorite is the lady who with the eyebrows. <laughs> the, eyebrows. <laughs> the lady Which who's one? like really old and like kind of stuck up. Uh, in all the in the Jingyong, oh gosh, what is her name? Um, and, which which book? <laughs> which book? I don't remember. I just because Jingyong has like a ton of yeah, books. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Listen, anyway. Oh my gosh, what is it's the lady with the eyebrows? She's what, like, what and she's just role? like real harsh, and she's like real old, and she's not casting the most favorable light. Oh my gosh, I don't remember what her name is. Is it? Um, but I love her the, so much. Like, Sorry? Like, uh, I'm trying to think. I don't... There's like <sighs> a bunch of old people, so... Um, I know, it's true. Yeah. Oh, man. And then all of her... And I think she's... Honestly, I also read all of this when I was very young, and I haven't revisited it since. But the, And she has a lot of... I think all of her students are women. Is she... One of the like maybe Ome Pai. Is that I think one so. of those? And, no, I think they're the women and, women sect. Yeah, and then she's like when people well, when I was in uh, in like when I talk to my cousins who are in Taiwan and they have like really mean 
women teachers, they would often give her the same nickname as this person. Anyway, it doesn't... This is such a terrible... <laughs> I didn't prepare for that. <laughs> but I love her so much. I just love that she's, she's so... She has so much power and she has her... She has her own place within all these other men that are also the heads of their factions. And she's just like... She's just as flawed as everyone else is, which is also something that I enjoy. Um, and she's... She, she, she's kind of she's very proud in a way and then she's easily insulted like literally everyone else in Jingyong. um and i just i love her so much she is uh this lady whose name i can't remember uh, she is she's the best if agatha remembers it after this recording we'll put it in the description uh i'll record for the podcast a, a and sound the bite <laughs> we'll record a sound bite and we'll put it over this and agatha will give me even more editing to do <laughs> no uh but now, so we're running out of time, um, and I kind of want to end on, like, up-and-coming writers, ways that people can support this modern wuxia movement. Like, like where, where do people start? Where, do you, where would you start if you wanted to, if you've... Okay, Agatha, what's that? I have a book uh, that I bought. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's by... Uh, J.Y. Young, um, and they, it's the, it's called The Black Ties of Heaven. I don't know if you, you know uh, of them. And I, I think this is a duology, and it's it's very short. It's I would say it's like a novella. And it's very cool. It is, I think, more like Xianxia. And then also The Poppy War by R.F. Kuang is also Xianxia, I would say. So, uh, yeah, Xianxia. Yeah. I've-, I've got it. Okay, so I've had this question... This entire the, the whole time, and I was like, "Do I ask this question? Because this this might be a really stupid question." But based on all of based on what we've talked about, the idea of you know sometimes you're being poor or you're striking out against uh, authority, would like the the Ip Man movies be considered wuxia? Especially given like the sequel when Japan is occupying China and he performs these superhuman feats against authority would would that be considered wuxia yeah i mean we do have some wuxia stories also in kind of republican kind of era and kind of more modern periods as well um although i think there's a bit of a blurry line also i think between kind of the hong kong kind of action films and kind of the historical wuxia that we've been talking about that's kind of set like the the shaw brothers movies yeah yeah and that that is an intricacy that is very interesting that we, I guess we don't have time to explore. But I totally feel you on that because whenever I try to explain wuxia to people, they think of kung fu films, which I think is not exactly the same as wuxia as, yeah. as a genre. I think it's a subset of it, but it. Well, what about okay? So then, what about like Once Upon a Time in China, right? The Wang Feihong, like films, TV series, like. He's like a like a like a folk hero, and when Jet Li portrayed him, he just did all these crazy, like almost superhuman feats that almost feel more wuxia to me than than say Ip Man for 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 reference. I'm I'm really I'm really inspired to go look further. Um, so Agatha, we have that novel, um, and that's fairly recent, right? Yeah, this was published eh. um, in 2017. Okay. Yeah, okay. and the Poppy Wars. So also we got like, recent. 
Okay, sweet. Now, Yilin, what about you? What would you recommend? Obviously, like your own stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what would you recommend to people who kind of want to see like 21st century wuxia? I think we're um, lucky in the sense that we're getting a lot more translations now. So I'm going to recommend, uh, you know, Legend of Conroe Heroes, Jin Yong is being translated now. And I'm friends with one of the translators, Gigi. So um, she's a member in my translators collective. So I'm going to recommend that. Um, I'm also going to recommend um, Et Voler, which is E-T-V-O-L-A-R-E. Um, she translates web novels. Um, she's Taiwanese and she translates a lot of Shansha. So I would recommend checking out those two people. Um, and I've also recently heard good things about Zen Cho's new um, novella. I think um, it's called, let me double check the title. Um, I think it's The Order of the Pure Moon Reflected in Water. And I think it's supposed to be um, Wuxia Fantasy. Um, I think inspired by kind of Malaysia. Oh, that's sick. Whoa. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And then we just said wuxia fantasy. And I'm like, the line between wuxia and shensha is so interesting to me. Yeah. And like, because there is just, I think one of the, the big takeaway from this podcast is that we learned that like wuxia is far more than just a martial arts movie or a martial arts movie with superhuman feats. There are these very deeply rooted Chinese concepts of friendship, fealty, family, um, and at how authority is perceived that I like honestly absolutely blown away like I know that I learn about Wuxia from Agatha all the time and now that I got to learn from both of you I just I feel like really really honored um that being said like we've run out of time uh, and I don't want to take up more of your time like thank you for being so generous with your time and you know teaching us about this and sharing your work and your all the research that you've done, I, I can't wait until we talk again. But that being said, if people want to find you on the internet, they want to follow you online, they want to read your stuff, where can people find you online? Yeah, so people can find me on my website. So that's just elinwan.com. And um, people can also follow me on Twitter, which is just elinwriter. And I tweet a lot about Wuxia and occasionally Xianxia as well. I have that project going on right now called um, Literary Jianghu. So people can find that using that hashtag um, that's kind of related to kind of translations and kind of um, kind of bits of my Wuxia research. Dang. Agatha, do you have any parting words? Uh, I, I do not. <laughs> I am just so excited to maybe do a part two in the future when when your novel progresses, eh? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. for our maps. Let's do it. I mean, let's let's do it. Let's do another episode on Wuxia. Maybe we could even do a whole reading session, of a session of Asians Read, where, Elin, you join us and we'll read through some Wuxia tabletop RPGs to kind of dissect them oh, yes. and talk about the themes that are inside them. Um, there is so much to do, and I know that so many people want to know more about Wuxia because it's this sort of almost mysterious genre here in, in, in like the West. And I'm so happy that we were able to sit down with you and kind of demystify it and learn more about its roots, what it means, and, you know, what to look for when you are consuming wuxia and xinxia 
sort of media. Uh, Yilin, thank you so much for joining us. It was uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to Yilin for joining us for this episode of Asians Represent. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. Uh, Asians Represent is part of the OneShot Podcast Network. If you head to OneShotPodcast.com, you can listen to a variety of amazing podcasts like The Broadswords, an all-women actual play Dungeons & Dragons podcast focusing on roleplay, narrative, and diversity at the gaming table. I know that they are gearing up for a new series that is going to be using the Cypher system, so I'm super excited about that. If you have any questions about Wuxia, this episode's theme, um, the games we discussed, if you really want to see us follow up our Masks series, except in a Wuxia setting, hit us up. Uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at AZNSRepresent or at AZNSRepresent at OneShotPodcast.com. And don't forget to head to Twitch, twitch.tv slash AZNSRep. We have a new series coming out Um tentative title the wrap-up it's going to be a new weekly talk show that we'll be doing in place of one of our asians read series it'll allow us to you know kind of combine the casual conversations that we have on our discord server uh, the asians read discussions as well as the asians recommend discussions that we want to have and that'll all take place at twitch.tv slash the wrap-up if you can't tune in to those twitch streams you can always head to youtube.com slash AZNSrepresent. That's where we put all of our VODs. Um, so yeah, check them out. That said, thank you, Yilin, for joining us for this conversation. My name is Daniel, and you've just listened to Asians Represent. <laughs>